0: Good morning. Good morning. you have a Bible? Yes. Hold it up. Let me see it. Good for you. Now we open it to Ephesians. This is the Word of God to us, and we are grateful. We I'm excited about beginning our study of the letter that we call Ephesians, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. What an amazing place in, in the Word of God. This is one of those mind-altering, life-changing places in god's word i know that god's used it in my life and i go back to it again and again and again what we want to do we're 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 launching what we think will be something like 23 weeks of our study take us into the end of june Uh, at least that's the plan right now we may change as we go along Um, but what we want to do this morning is i want to give you what i call a jet tour through ephesians to try to sort of set your heart and to help you see well, I hope it will help you see the, the, the gist of the whole book so that you'll have a sense of what this is really about and that, that will help you as we make our way through this. Now, a crucial thing is you have to read this on your own. My friends, you have to read your Bible. Read your Bible. So I want to ask you how many of you have actually in the past two or three weeks read all the way through Ephesians. Good. Good. Will you now? Those of you who are now feeling this small twinge of (laughs) guilt—this is God-given. This twinge of guilt. So, and I'm going to try to ramp it up just a little bit more to make you even feel worse. No. Now, my purpose is: look, you've got to open the Word of God for yourself. And we're going to study this. We're going to go fairly slow. We're going to try to dig deep because it's such an incredible place in the Word of God. But God will do some things for you when you sit alone with the Word of God and you open it and you read it yourself. And God will do some things in your community group with your family if you will simply open the Word of God and read it together. Shut off the television. This would take you like one half hour program. Sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. It's a great joy to open the Word of God. And and one of the things that we must do as the people of God is we must read the Word of God. So one of the primary ways that you will fall more deeply in love with the Word of God and see God use it in your life is if you will read it yourself. My friends, I want you to read your Bibles. Are you hearing me, my friends? Read Ephesians this week. Make a note to yourself. Do something. Keep this sermon outline or something that will remind you somewhere along the line. If you can do it multiple times, I hope that you will read it at least once every week as we go along. By the time we reach uh, the end of June, this will be a living document for you. And it will be something that God will use again and again and again in your life. If this is, if this is simply you list coming and listening to Matt and me talk about this, what will happen in your life will not be very deep. But if you will read it again and again and again, and when you know what we're going to talk about next week, if you will, if you will go there and read deeply and ask the Spirit of God to teach you. For example, next week we're going to start with verse 3 and go, we're going to start in this incredible place from verse 3 to verse 14. And it is one of the deepest places in the Word of God of God, and you must ask the Spirit of God to reveal this to you, and He will teach you things that Matt or I cannot teach you. So I want to ask you again, read your Bible, make a note to yourself now. Will you do this? Good, okay. So, maybe in order to set our hearts right, it would be good for us to read the first 14 verses, so I ask you to take your Bible and follow along with me. How about if we stand up, simply to honor the Word of God, and focus. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. I'm reading from the New International Version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Father, now we ask you that our time together and our time in your wood would be to the praise of your glory. And that you would do what only you can do. That the Spirit of God would work through the Word of God to change our hearts. And enlighten our understanding. And bring us understanding and a great love and submission to you. And Father, will you change us? Will you change us individually and will you change us together? That we might increasingly be to the praise of your glory. In this place, but even more so, wherever we go, in our home, in our community, in our families, in our relationships, in our groups, Lord, more and more, will You glorify Yourself through Your people, in the name of Jesus, who makes it possible. We pray, Amen. 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 So, please be seated. Thank you. If you have a note sheet, just follow along. Fasten your seat belts. Here we go. Because of God's eternal plan, because of God's eternal plan. Now, we, we have plans, right? But God has a plan. Do you ever stop and think very much about this? That Think about God. Do you think God has a plan? Do you think He's big enough and strong enough and great enough to actually carry out His plan, that He actually knows what He's doing, that He has a desire, that He has actually determined some things that are definitely going to happen? And he is now working to carry out this plan. This is what Paul immediately launches before us. And we see that we have plans that stretch for a few years. Our God has a plan that goes all the way back before he created the world and stretches through this thing that we call time where we now live and others have lived before and after us and goes all the way into eternity future. This is the plan of God and it includes us, which is amazing, just amazing. And so Paul immediately begins with talking about the plan of God, and then he starts talking about your blessings in Christ. Now, blessing is one of those words that we don't use very much. It's a good word to use. Blessing is simply the good gifts of God. And so now Paul, beginning about verse 3, begins to talk about the blessings that we have in Christ. And verse 3 goes like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ wow every spiritual blessing in Christ he has blessed us in the heavenly realms what is that and what does that mean these blessings in the heaven what is the heavenly realms you know, one of the problems we have is, of course, we live in a very physical earth, and we tend to think of the things that are most real are the things that we can touch and see and feel and the things that are happening in our life, the things that we know, that we can see with our eyes, that we can touch and we can understand. And now Paul says, of course, you live in this world, but now there are, there are realities in the heavenly, some of your Bibles say, are in the heavenly places. And these things are just as true and as real as anything that you ever experience in this world. Forgiveness. Have you been forgiven? Yes. Do you know that you've been forgiven your sin? Yes. Who holds that forgiveness? Is that something you control? You know, oh, this is something God has done. This is something that has happened in the heavenlies, where now the Father looks at you and sees you forgiven. Is that right, true? true? This is something you don't always feel. Sometimes you feel very unforgiven. Sometimes you you can't touch this or see it, but you. You believe it's true, right? You believe it's real. This is a gift of God in the heavenlies that he has given to you. So not everything that we, it, not everything that is real is something that we can see and touch. And now Paul just launches into a long list of things that God has done for us. And he uses the word forgiven also as part of one of the, he, the blessings in the spiritual realms, in the heavenlies. And they're all in Christ. They're in Christ. So this in his, this amazing 12 verses or so from verse 3 to down through verse 14. I just ask you, if you want to, you can just open your Bible and sort of follow along with me as we do this, uh, or you can use your outline, whichever one is most helpful to you. In verse 3 to 14, Paul says that he has chosen us in love. not that we chose him so much that he chose us. And then he uses the word, this is amazing, we'll have fun with this, predestined. Ooh. And adopted. And redeemed and forgiven, and He has made known to us His will, and we are included in Christ, and we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and all of this is for the praise of His glory. Three times in these verses, Paul says, "For the praise of His glory." It's as if Paul is saying, "Look, this is not about praising You. This is a, the whole thing that God has done. His plan is has been always been to bring praise to Himself. God is quite delighted with Himself." And he brings praise to himself because he is the one worthy of that. And so all these things that are blessings for us, all the things that God has done and God is doing and God will do is not even primarily for us. This is not primarily for us. It's primarily for the glory of God and we get to be for the praise of his glory. He actually says so that you might be for the praise of his glory. Someday you're going to stand in glory and you're going to see this much more clearly than we see it now. And you're going to see he did this To glorify himself. And I get in on it. And then we will praise. Of course we will. And all of these blessings are experienced in these words that Paul uses. These two words. In Christ. In Christ. He says it again and again and again. And then beginning in verse 15 to about verse 23, he begins to pray for them. There are several prayers in Ephesians. And he launches into this amazing prayer from verse 15 to about verse 23. He prays that you will know inheritance and power. Inheritance. Oh, do you know your inheritance? If somebody says to you, what is this thing called inheritance? What is your inheritance? How would you you explain that? Paul says, I'm praying that you will know this. And he doesn't just mean head knowledge. He knows that we have a problem. Particularly we probably have a problem, maybe in America more than other places. We tend to make things intellectual knowledge, and they certainly are intellectual knowledge. But if you leave it there, then of course you miss out on the power of the experience. And Paul said, I want you to know. And so he says, I'm going to pray that you're going to have wisdom from God, and, and there's going to be a revelation in your mind. You ever, you ever anybody who says, I've had a revelation? We go, boo. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite fit with our, you know. Anyway, so, but it's fascinating to me that every time somebody has said to me something that they've had a revelation, they're really excited about it and it changes their life more than just, you know, I know that and I filed it away in a note somewhere. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Paul is praying, look, that this will grasp a hold of you and you will have wisdom from God and that you will have a revelation. He actually then uses the word enlightened, that your brain will be enlightened and that you will see things in ways that you never, ever saw before. And this, of course, is dependent upon the spirit of God. Then chapter two. Now, remember, Paul didn't write in chapters. This was done much later. He just wrote a letter. But we divide it up in chapters and verses so we can find stuff. But. And what we call chapter two, then I put in your notes, now you have experienced new life in Christ, new life. And here's another word that we use quite, I don't know, maybe trivial. Stuff is new. But when Paul uses it, it has another deep meaning new, new life. And one more time, in Christ, new life in Christ. And he begins by saying, You were dead. You were dead. Now, none of us like, we're like, what? I haven't ever been dead, have I? He would say, yeah, you have. Do you know this? You were dead in what he calls your transgressions and sins, that this whole thing of the power of the evil one and the world and the flesh has killed you in terms of your relationship with God. You have no living connection with God. That's who you were. That's what you were like. That was the deadness of your life, your human life. But now, he says, you are alive in Christ. There's been a new life. This is this is this thing called a new creation, a new birth. You've been born again. A new thing has happened to you, and now you are alive. And he said, before you were, listen to these words, by nature, objects of wrath. Whoa. If God doesn't intervene when you are dead in your transgressions and sin, if there is nothing, if, if new life doesn't happen, then you're going to receive the wrath of God. And that's what makes this so incredible. And why these are very familiar verses to many of you where you will go on and say, By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. That this river of grace, you have now find yourself in this grace. And you find new life now. And you know that you were dead and now you are alive and of course when you're alive then what God does is he makes you a new creation and a a new creation always has a new vocation it has a new job it has a new life so you when you have been brought from death into life now you have a new job now you have a new vocation now you are a new person and so I put in your notes you are God's new humanity that we now In Christ are actually being transformed in the likeness of Christ God is is making us into the kind of human beings that he wants human beings to be and When we have sinned and fallen we've lost so much of that image of true humanity of what God really wants Christ is the The real human the father looks at Jesus and says this is what a human is supposed to look like This is what a human is supposed to do this is how he's supposed to think and feel and act and love And now God is actually transforming us more and more into His likenesses. This is the plan of God to change us to be more and more like Christ. Do you feel it happening? Do you see in yourself that you are more like Jesus now than you were a few years ago? That there's some new stuff going on? And and this is God's transforming work to make you this new humanity and let that new humanity live itself out. And we'll see Paul saying, look, God is actually building a new home A new temple, if you will. He's building a temple. And guess what the temple is? It isn't this. It's this. You are the temple of God. And because you are the temple, this is a holy temple then. And then this is a place of worship. And Paul talks about that. And now this is a place where God himself lives in and turns you into worshipers. And how sweet is this? And then in chapter 3, he begins he saying, some people regard it as a digression, I'm not sure if it is or not, but it's like Paul says, now I want to tell you about a mystery that is now revealed, a mystery. The idea that we have of mystery is something that is so confusing you just don't understand. But when when the Bible talks about the word mystery, it usually means that this is something that has been hidden for long ages and is now revealed. A mystery revealed. And now Paul, in chapter 3, reveals a mystery that nobody ever knew about. And this church that is largely Gentiles would have heard that and would have thought, wow, God has changed everything. Now the whole reason for looking down on some people because of the color of their skin or because of their behavior or because of their race between Jew or Gentile, or anything, all of that has been removed, and now we are brought together one in one body in Christ. And how sweet is that, that we, we as the people of God get to live this out as examples for the whole world. A mystery now revealed no more separation between people. And then Paul prays again, one of the most astounding places in the Word of God is chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, where Paul prays again. He prays again that people like us, listen to this, would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in us. Strengthened with power through His Spirit in us. This is what Paul is praying, and he prays that you will grasp the immensity of the love of god every now and then i i talk to someone who is just overcome with the immensity of the love of god sometimes stuff needs to happen to us for us to realize how much he loves us but every now and then you'll run up against somebody and and it's fascinating to me that these people are just joyful and delighted and and they want to tell people and they're just overcome with the immensity of the greatness of the love of God and Paul's praying I'm praying that you will grasp this that you will get it how big the love of God is I want to suggest to you that we have a small view of the love of God You may say I have a great view of the love of God I I guess I would want to say to you it could be greater I mean you would be changed if it was greater He prays that you will be filled up to all the fullness of God Filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's verse 19. What a staggering idea that is. I mean, what is that? Filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. What is that? What does it look like? So that verse 21 can happen, so that there can be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus, because that's the intent, of, that's the plan of God. It's always been the plan of God that there would be glory in the church. One more time, not talking about church buildings or church organizations, but people, pe- the people of God. That there would be the glory of God in the people of God. So that when God, when somebody from, quote, the outside comes in among us, they would say, there's glory here. I don't know, I don't get for sure what it is. And lest you understa- misunderstand, I'm not talking about church services. I'm talking about us as the people of God. It'd be good if it happened in church services too. So that's the first three chapters, and many people divide Ephesians into two sections. Chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then chapter 4, 5, and 6. And, and they say, this is the first part is doctrine, and that is like duty. This is the things that God has done, and this is the things that we do in response. And there is some truth to that. Of course, there's, there's doctrine in, in chapter 4, 5, and 6, and there's duty in chapters 1, 2, and 3. But generally, this is an accurate assumption, I think. And so now what Paul does is he says, therefore... What are you going to do if God has given you all these blessings, if He's given you blessings in the heavenly places, if He's united you together with Christ, if He's put His Holy Spirit in, if He's predestined and chosen and all these amazing things that God has done, and He's made you one body together with Him, then what do you do? You walk. In Paul's word, you walk worthy, because we are one body. We walk worthy. Walk, walk. Some of your Bibles say live It's literally the word "walk," but the the word "walk" means live. It's just walking is like left foot, right foot, left foot. I mean, this is we walk through life, so it's about living every day, living because of what God has done. Then we have a new life. Then we, of course, we respond to this. You can't, you can't get this kind of good stuff without responding, or something is seriously wrong with you. So God has done all of this, and so we walk and we live. And particularly, He mentions you live in humility. Because this is a gift. This is not something you earned. This is, these are gifts of God. This is called grace. And it's been, and it's happened in Christ. And so you walk in humility and you walk in unity together with the rest of God's people. That's why we talk about community because we are together in this. We are in Christ. And all of our brothers and sisters who are believers and have experienced new birth are also in Christ. And then Paul goes on in verse 7, and he says, of course, you're gifted. God doesn't just now say, I'm going to do all these blessings, but it, and now you have to do the best you can. Now what God does, is, what Paul says, is God has gifted you. Each one of us, to each one of us, grace has been given. And he's particularly talking about empowering kind of gifts that God gives to his people so that we can walk worthy. We are gifted and we're growing we're growing to become more and more like Christ, and we'll talk about what that means. We are—it is the plan of God. If He has done all these things for us, then we then we, we need to grow up. We need to grow up in Him. So this is now we start applying and obeying and submitting. Verses seventeen to twenty-four, he talks about a new self or a new man who lives very differently now. If you have been made a new creation in Christ and have been changed and you are now in Christ and you're united together with him and you are one with him and you are one in the body, you belong to a new family and, and things are happening within you and you have the Holy Spirit within you and he's forgiven you of your sin, then of course you're going to live very differently in the world. You must live very differently because the only way that God can be glorified in the people of God is if they live differently than everybody else does. You get this, right? Right. So we're called to live a different kind of life. Huh. So easily said. And sometimes difficult for us. And sometimes we hear people in, quote, the world say, you're no different than I am. Huh. Living very differently. Differently. Paul particularly says now, of course, there are some things you've got to take off like an old coat and throw aside. And there are some things you must put on. And this now is our duty. This now is our responsibility to live according to what it is that God has given to us. To now actually live out this thing called a holy life. What does it mean and how? what does it look like? So we are to walk worthy as children of light. And then Paul, particularly in verses 15 to 21, will say, I'm praying for you that you will be filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit. Hmm. Another one of those places where in the church I was growing up, if you talked about being filled with the Spirit, people say, Okay. I don't know about this filled with the Spirit thing. My friends, we cannot survive living for Christ if we are not filled with the Spirit. We need to talk about what that means and how is it that you are filled with the Spirit. It is being filled with the Spirit that enables us to live out the kind of relationships that God wants us to live out and to live out the be the kind of people that He wants us to live. And the tendency of some people think, okay, if you're filled with the Spirit, that means you're going to be like doing this sort of really bizarre, strange kind of Christian religious thing. And Paul goes immediately into family and relationships. And he launches it with these words, submit to one another. Oh, submit to one another. Is that what being filled with the Spirit does? You start submitting? I don't want to have to submit. And then you realize that it is submission to authority that enables everything that Christ wants to do in our life. And many of us really struggle with this whole thing of authority, submitting to authority. Human authority, God's authority, anybody's authority, we've resisted it. And when we resist submission to authority, our, our walk in Christ, our growth in Christ comes to a dead stop. And when you learn this principle of submitting to, to God's authority in your life, and you realize that God works through people, when you, and then you're like free, it opens you up to grow, mature. And every single one of us know in our own life, where we have resisted the authority of God and we've stumbled and fallen. And we've seen other people all around us, people who have great gifts and incredible talent and wonderful skill, and they stumble on this one place of submission to authority. And their power is gone. Paul goes, starts talking in verse 22, and he goes through 20, verse 33. It's this incredible place about wives and Husbands. I can just imagine the first time that this was read when Paul, you know, somebody's reading this, I got this letter from the Apostle Paul, and we're reading it here in church, and the church of Ephesus gathered together probably, you know, in homes, and it's read several times, and and Paul begins reading, you know, and he's reading along, and he gets to this place where he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Um. And all the men went. Yeah. All right. You know. But he didn't they didn't know what was coming. <laughs> And you know what's coming, right? you got to remember this was never heard before. And Paul says things that had never been heard before on the planet to husbands. And he puts this thing together where he says the husband and the wife, Christ and the church. And he parallels them. And it's one of the most staggering ideas on the planet. And it lifts marriage, your marriage, up to a higher place than you have ever realized that God wanted it to be. That you have become the very example of the living Christ dying for his people, husband and wife. Whoa, it'll be fun. And he goes on, he talks about children, of course, children submitting to parents and then slaves to masters. And, you know, this is all about the home and how this has got to be lived out in the home and it's got to be lived out in the workplace, the employers and all that thing. And, and he just he just keeps, you hear this echo, in Christ we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is one of the basic principles of living in Christ. And then finally, the last Verse ten to about the end of, to the end of the chapter. Walk worthy, be strong in the Lord. Be strong, because God's plan for us has always been that you would be strong. His His design is not. It's it's one of those paradoxes where sometimes we're weak, and sometimes we're strongest when we know we're weak, and sometimes when we think we're strongest, we're really weak. And so we're going to have to learn this one again. And Paul at the end of the letter says, Look, the plan of God is that you would stand in the day of evil that you would stand. You have some days of evil? Right? So you know what this is about. And and, and And he says, I think it's three or maybe four times, Stand, stand, stand. It's the design of God that you would be able to stand firm whatever comes at you. Even if it's authored by the devil himself, that it is the plan of God that the children of God would be able to stand firm. And in order for us to do that, he's going. To, he said, There's a, there, God actually has an armor and He's delivered it to us. And so what you've got to do is you've got to put on this armor. And you will discover as you put on the armor of God, it's like putting on Christ again. And you will find yourself in Christ. And when you put on the armor, you will be able to stand in the day of evil. Boom! There it was. So, let's look... Now at the salutation, the greeting, turn your note sheet over if you would. These are, these are two verses that people usually just bypass. So it's just the greeting. Paul does it pretty similar in all of his letters. They're all very similar. It's just I like, you know, it's in a sort of a, you know, I don't know, it's just a politically correct kind of thing to do. You know, he starts out with his own name. In those days, they identified the writer of the letter at the very first rather than at the end. Have you ever gotten a letter where you didn't know who it was from? And, you and you know, you're turning three pages over. Who is this from? You know, and then, oh, it's from that person. So, you know. Well, they just started out with Paul, so you knew immediately. It's actually pretty smart. So Paul begins, you know, and he tells us some things. It's only two verses, and it's sort of poetic. In fact, you can can look at these two verses, and a lot of times people just go over these as like unimportant, you know. I want to say to you there is no unimportant scripture, that even in a salutation and a greeting, God can teach you something. So I ask you to be willing to be taught something in this moment. There are like four things that Paul says, and each of these four things has two parts. So Paul gives us one, two, three, four, and each of them has two. The first one would be a source of authority. By what authority does he write this letter? He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, an apostle, apostle. That's a big word that's used in many different ways throughout the scripture and was used in ancient times. Apostle literally means one cent. So an apostle could be somebody just sent to get the mail, right? And that would be an apostle for that particular task. But in a deeper level, sometimes apostles are those sent in a missionary task, do accomplish. Some We could say all of our missionaries are apostles in that sense. They are sent out to take the gospel, or to encourage, or whatever it is their mission is. But then there's an even deeper sense of which the apostles, if you will, and you might even capitalize apostle then, the apostles, if you will, these are men personally chosen by Jesus. These are people who are personally eyewitnesses to the resurrection. These are people who are brought to Christ, and Christ himself taught them. These are people who God or Christ himself gave them authority, and so much of the word of God, the New Testament, is written by the apostles. So Paul puts himself, I believe, in that last category. He is one of the apostles. And he many times defended his apostleship by st- telling his story. And if you know his story, Acts chapter 9, you remember he was a persecutor of the church. He was called Saul of Tarsus. And he thought Jesus was a fake. And he'd never risen from the dead. He thought he should be crucified. He was a heretic. And anybody who was following him was, you know, this a part of a cult that's springing up and it's, you know, it's destroying true cr- religion. And so he, he went after these people, these Christians, these Christ ones, these followers of the way. And he put them in prison and he's on the road to Damascus. You remember when interruption comes remember? and Jesus himself talks to him and calls him. And when he calls him, he says, I'm going to send you away as an apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul must have gone, What? Gentiles? I hate Gentiles. You know? I won't eat with Gentiles. You know? Pharisees called them dogs. Oh. To the why the Gentiles? I mean, this is a Pharisee, right, who has now come to Christ. You think, Wow, back to the Sanhedrin and give your testimony, Paul. Jesus I mean you know, right? You'd think he's now he's gonna really reach the Jewish people and it's amazing how God does this sometimes. You know, you'd have this thing where you think is really logical and reasonable, and God goes, nope. You know, you do it that way, you'll depend upon your own brilliance and resources. I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. So now Paul is in this letter that is written largely to Gentiles, not Jewish people. There were some there for sure. But now he says, I'm an apostle. And notice the words, by the will of God. Apostle, by the will of God. This is his authority. God himself has called this man. And so when Paul writes this, he fully expects that people will read it and receive it as the very word of God, the thoughts of God, and that they will submit to it as the word of God, which is a pretty amazing thing to think about, something that you would write. So this is Paul's letter, and yet it is God breathed by the Holy Spirit. And now we have it. And the question will be, of course, as we work our way through it, Will we receive it as the word of God? And will we submit and believe and do? The next thing Paul does is he gives names of believers to the saints. I don't know if you circle things in your Bible. You ought to circle the word saints to the saints at Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints. Are you a saint? You ever heard that used as an insult? You think you're a saint. You know, you know. You're a goody goody, you know. You think you're so good. You saint. So we shy away from this word saint because we think that the word saint means, you know, an incredibly, extremely religious, pious person who does really great things and doesn't ever, hardly ever, sin, or somebody named by the Roman Catholic Church. Ah, they are now a saint. So, to the saints at Ephesus, really, Saint, you know, Mother Teresa was a saint. I'm not a saint. Are you a saint? to the saints who are at, you think they were trying to they were looking around saying who's the saint here you know <laughs> I wonder who this is written to you know? now our problem of course is that I don't know about you but I remember this phrase remember this and I'm just a sinner saved by grace yeah. hmm am I a sinner oh yeah am I saved by grace oh yeah is that my truest identity is that who I really am I mean, that's not so great, but a saint, a saint. The word literally means holy one. Well, that makes it even more difficult, holy one, right? I mean, so am I a holy one? And why am I a holy one? Why, why, why could I, why could he call everybody a saint? Everybody who is in Christ is a saint, how could that be? And only if He said you're a saint. Only if He set you apart so that you could be made holy. You see, we have this thing backwards. We have, and I have done this all my life and I still continue to do it. I have this idea that if I just be good, He will really like me. And when I'm bad, He doesn't like me very much. When I'm good, I'm saintly. And when I'm bad, I'm a sinner. So who am I, really? My friends, Paul is saying right here look, if you are in Christ, you are a saint. And he's trying to get us at the very beginning to see how this works. You remember the first three chapters are about the grace of God. And it is because of the grace of God, therefore, you do, you walk worthy. In other words, God gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and there because he gives and gives grace and we didn't do anything to deserve this, right? Predestined? You weren't even alive when he predestined you. Chosen? I mean, right? You didn't do anything to earn your forgiveness. We we, we just received. And so Paul is saying, look, this is the way it works. You receive and you receive because God is a giver. He just gives. And when he gives, then what do we do? And we receive and we say, thank you. And then, of course, if he says, I'm holy, and I want you to be holy, then what do we do? We struggle to be holy. Is the struggle to be holy the thing that makes us a saint? You're not so sure, are you? Is the performance of how well you're doing making, is that what makes you a saint? There wouldn't be hardly any saints here, just a few, and I don't even know who they are. And I wouldn't be one of them. Right? So it's not about that. It's about God saying... I mean, verse 4, chapter 1. He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. He looks at us in His sight as holy and blameless. And now He's saying, guess what? Work it out. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Right? Because you are a saint, be saintly. Because you're holy... Act holy. Because God has changed you, take the old stuff off and put the new things on. You are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's what God wants. Faithful. And that word, even that word, has, you know, I mean, that's so many different multifaceted. You can mean, mean having faith or acting in faith or persevering in faith. So Paul is saying, I'm writing to the saints at Ephesus. You are at Ephesus and you are a saint in the heavenlies. My friends, you are in Portland, and if you are in Christ, you are a saint in the heavenlies. God looks at you, holy and blameless. Do you know this? What if we really grasp that and begin to think of that as our primary identity, a saint? A saint. Would it make you feel guilty or inspired? Inspired. Hmm. And in Christ, that's Paul's great expression for real Christianity. A scholar looked through this and tried to find out how many times Paul uses the phrase in Christ, in Him, in the Lord Jesus, in Jesus. And he, he came up with a total of, I wrote it down, 164 times. This means something to Paul. In Christ, in Christ, in Him, in the Lord, in the Master. So we are citizens of this world, but even in a deeper sense, we are citizens of another kingdom where we are in Christ. Everybody who is a saint is a believer, and everybody who is a believer is a saint. So what are you? Do not go around saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You are, but you're more than that. Then he says, some blessings to believers. This incredible thing, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace, huge words, just mammoth words that reveal and he's going to talk about this all the way through grace and peace. He begins with grace and peace and he ends with peace and grace, the last few words ver- couple verses. Grace and peace to you, peace and grace. What is grace? Oh this is the constant flow of goodness that comes from a, the heart of a good God. This is the spontaneous, unmerited favor of a loving God. This is the freely given loving kindness in operation that we receive. This undeserved, unearned, generous gifts that God just gives and gives and gives. We're so familiar with the word grace and the world has robbed us of it that we're going to have to reclaim it. Grace, grace. And notice the order, grace and peace. We have peace with God and we have the peace of God because of grace. And peace, largely peace, is simply trusting and resting in grace. It's believing that God is a God full of grace and that I can rest, have rest and peace in Him now in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of this difficulty. But God, because of what God has already done, what God is doing now, and what God will do, and He will provide what I need. I can now have peace the peace of God, and peace with God, and peace with each other because of the flowing grace of God. He smiles at you. Did you know that? God smiles. In some way, he smiles. You ever think about him smiling at you? Oh, my friends, this is the grace and peace. The smile of God is the grace and peace that he gives to his redeemed children. He looks at you and he likes you. Just a sinner, say, he likes you. I've done a lot of bad. He likes you. He likes you so much that He sees you in His own Son who He really, really likes. How staggering is that? The source of blessing then from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul does this amazing thing where he takes Father and Son and he pulls them together and then he remains a distinction between them. It's called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. They're one and yet three and The Lord Jesus Christ. You're very familiar with that? Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, what does Lord mean? It means master. It's the idea of a king, an owner, a conqueror, a ruler. It's an Old Testament translation of the word Adonai, which is the word for God. The Lord. The Lord Jesus. Jesus is His given name, His human name. It's like Joshua. It means Jehovah saves. The angel came to Joseph and said, You are to give Him the name Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. He's a Savior. Oh, and Christ. Christ, that's a title. That's an Old Testament title. It's the Greek word Messiah out of the Hebrew. Messiah. This is the long-awaited, anointed One who has now come and everything we have is because of Him. So what do we do? What do we do? Are you experiencing grace and peace? Do you know this? You got problems, I know, but are you experiencing grace and peace? Are you, do you know it? Is it changing your ability to respond and react? Is it, is it compelling you to do some things that you might not have otherwise done? Are you rejoicing in grace? Are you counting on grace and peace? Maybe you could leave here today and think about grace and peace. So, what do we do? We count on God, we count on God, we trust Him, and we receive one more time the grace of God. There was a young woman named Annie Johnson Flint. She was born a long time ago, 1866. By the time she was six years old, she both of her parents died, and she was adopted by a couple who had no children. She had always wanted, she was, she had a heart for music and she was talented with music and poetry and she always wanted to be a concert pianist. And when she was a teenager, she developed a severe arth- arthritis that began to curl her hands. And she knew that she could never, ever be a concert pianist. And so she devoted herself to writing poems. And within a, just a few years, she couldn't even walk. And after a little while, she was typing out her poems On this old, remember the old typewriters? She was typing out her poems with her knuckles. One of the ones she wrote, you might be familiar with, it goes like this He giveth more grace as our burdens go greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, He addeth His mercy. To multiplied trials, He multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. So lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, say it with me, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Remember, he will give to you. Trust him. Will you pray with me? So that is our desire, Father, to trust you. We pray that this study of this scripture will teach us, will help us, will inspire us, will call us, will strengthen us to be people of greater faith and obedience. We give you praise for the flow of grace that we have experienced. We know that You have reached down out of heaven and drawn us to Yourself. And that You're still drawing us. And that there's some in this room that You right now are saying, it's time. It's time for You to bend the knee to Jesus. Father, we pray that today we would be submissive. That today we would trust. And that today we would yield to You. And we pray for those people who are Still holding back, Lord, may this be the day they say, I want the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, I submit. Lord, we thank you for your grace that we have experienced in the past and the present and the grace yet to come. We pray now, Father, as we take the Lord's Supper, that you will help us to know one more time it's all because of him. Help us to be worshipers in this moment. Help us to come to the cross and see Him again and then to realize He is risen and we are risen with Him. And we are in Christ. And Lord, when we leave here, may we live like it this week. Filled by You and Your Spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.